0: Welcome everybody, this is Vernon Oaks, welcome to Everything Co-op, and as that announcement just said, this show is brought to you so you can see how cooperatives can help you to improve the quality of your life. And today we have Michael Peck on, who started One Worker, One Vote, and Sarah Horowitz, who started the company Mutualist Society, and she wrote a book on mutualism. Good morning, Michael and Sarah.
1: Good morning, Vernon.
0: Good morning. And Michael, what part of the world are you in today?
1: I'm on a barrier island uh, near Jones Beach, People's Beach, about 25 miles southeast of JFK.
0: Okay, all right, and Sarah, where are you?
2: I'm in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Oh, fantastic, and I'm in Washington, D.C., okay. So we're, we're spread out a little bit. Glad you made it this morning, glad you've taken time out. So, Michael, we are here today to talk about how co-ops helps one to have a better quality of life, but you've written a book or you've co-written a book, 36 Different People, Humanity at Work and Life. So what is this book and why did you decide to write it?
1: Yes, thank you, Vernon. Uh, About three years ago, uh, Chris Clamp, the co-editor, Professor Chris uh, Chris Clamp from Southern New Hampshire University, and are a legend in the, in the co-op world. Uh, we came to the conclusion that there was this global dispersion of the Mondragon model, but it had never been written up. So uh, we decided to do it. Uh, we didn't know how complex the journey was going to be. Uh, but three years later, here we are with a published book, 36 contributors from six countries and three continents, uh, and lots of examples uh, to tell the world about. So
0: how did you and Chris come together?
1: It was, it was thanks to Chuck Snyder, uh, the famous Chuck Snyder. Uh, everyone knows, former president and CEO of National Cooperative Bank, bank really an icon in the cooperative community. He invited us to lunch and introduced us um, with the idea uh, that we would end up doing something like this. So, you know, we dedicate the book to uh, our contributors, the readers, and, and to Chuck.
0: Okay, and Sarah, what's your role in this book on humanity at work and life?
2: Well, luckily, my good friend Michael Peck, in pulling together these great perspectives, asked me to provide some reflections on what was what this book was about, and what I could just see is that people all over the world are seeing the same kinds of problems and opportunities and seeing how cooperatives can start to respond and looking at the great models of Mondragon. So my contribution is a short, but sweet reflection at the end.
0: Okay, and we're going to get to those reflections, but you mentioned Mondragon a couple of times. So Michael, would you tell folks out there what Mondragon is?
1: Sure. Uh, Mondragon is the world's largest industrial cooperative. Uh, it's, going, it's, it's approaching 70 years of its a cooperative ecosystem in existence. It has its own university, its own bank, its own insurance mutual. It focuses on the ba- it, it focuses and operates on the basis of one worker, one vote. Uh, it has democratic capitalism and solidarity and intercooperation as its primary virtues. It has the seven uh, cooperative principles, but it adds three of its own or for, for ten cooperative principles. Uh, chief among them are the sovereignty of labor. And the subordinate role of capital, which are my favorite. Uh, and I uh, spent 20 years inside Mondragon as one of their international delegates. And Chris Clamp, and Chris Clamp did her thesis with three of the original five Mondragon co founders of the first cooperative, Al Gore, which is a real distinction.
0: Okay. And where is Mondragon?
1: It's in the vast region of Spain, in the province of Guipuzcoa. Uh, It's um, part of a a city, with maybe a small city with 35,000 people, uh, and the cooperative dominates the region, uh, providing close to four percent of of Basque region uh, GNP.
0: And how many companies are in Mondragon, and how many employees?
1: Right. So it it changes, it fluctuates, but there's about 100 to 100 between 95 and 105 uh, cooperatives uh, in the group. Uh, and there's, uh, somewhere between 67 and 71,000 employees. They're in, uh, uh over a hundred companies around the world. Uh, they provide 10% of the employment uh, of the private sector in Spain. They're the largest multinational in China and, and they have an, have a global importance because of the resiliency and innovation associated with their model.
0: So you you, you said it's, it's humanity at work and life, and you talk about the global diffusion of the Mondragon Cooperative Ecosystem Experience. So what's yes. an ecosystem? What, what do you mean by that? So, so
1: ecosystem is when you have, uh, instead of a, a one-off, a single cooperative uh, doing great things, you have a number of cooperatives and supporting institutions that are part of a relationship, a federation, help each other out. Uh, In the Mondragon example, uh, it would be cross-training and cross-placing workers, worker-owners from one cooperative to another, depending on uh, which business is booming and which isn't. And it's also the ability to move capital around uh, and support those cooperatives uh, that need it, knowing that in turn, uh, they'll support other cooperatives when they're in a position to do so, which is the definition of solidarity. The, 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 our brand, our book brand, Humanity at Work at Life uh, is, uh, well, it comes from the Monodon brand, which is Humanity at Work. And we added at Life because uh, we're making the point in the book that uh, you know the balance between work and life is changing dramatically as we speak. It changed dramatically during the pandemic. All these curves were flattened. Uh, working will never be the same. Uh, and we believe these principles Uh, and values that the Mondragon Ecosystem Model represents are equally as important to work and life. Uh, So we put it together.
0: So Sarah, Michael has just talked about Mondragon's uh, ecosystem of all of these companies working together with a bank and with a university. It sounds like the sixth principle of of cooperation, which is cooperation among co-ops, Is this what mutualism is, when you talk about mutualism?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. You know, mutualism is just this idea of looking at cooperatives and the partners and the allies that are unions, faith communities, and mutual aid. And that once we can see that co-ops sit in this context, it amplifies the possibility of cooperation which is the sixth principle of the cooperative movement. And I think that's really important that at this moment, we can really see how that works in the ecosystem as Michael just defined it. But one thing is Michael was talking that just came to my mind. Michael, um, I got to go to Madrigan to to see it myself and it's really quite extraordinary. And you see this in the Italian, Italians have it in the Emilia-Romagna region and their cooperatives. And when you ever go there, it's work and life, because you see that people lead a life where young and old are out and about. People aren't lonely and anxiety ridden. You know, you can afford your house, you can afford a good meal. It's just it really does transcend just these ideas into how people lead their lives every day.
0: So Michael has been threatening to take me over there with him one day when he goes over. I really want to get there and see this, too. I,
2: you you can't get it. a bad meal in these places. I'm telling you, the food is delicious and affordable. You got to go. Okay. And,
1: and Vernon, Co-op Cincy is organizing a tour uh, for the week of 23 April. Um, there's already 40 people on it, but uh, if you want to jump on there, I'll be happy to make the connection.
0: I don't know if I can make that one or not. Okay. Michael, I want to go back to you and you you mentioned six countries, three continents thirty six thirty seven people so who are some of the people that worked on this and do you want to shout out and talk about the people that worked on this with
1: you yes absolutely um uh so you know it is it's it's a book uh we talk about ordinary people doing extraordinary things, which is a quote from Oscar Goytie, uh president of Mondragon International, uh, when he was invited by Steve Slay um, at, at the D.C. Labor and Employee Relations uh, Association event a couple of years ago. These, these 36 contributors have uh, created um, stories uh, that show uh, across all these geographies and all these cultures and all these different experiences aligned similarities of values and and applying those values to uh, creating a common good that works for all. So the countries represented are from Canada, UK, Germany, South Korea, Spain and and the USA. We have a forward from Rebecca Henderson and we have um, a concluding reflection by Martin Lowry. In the first part, Reimagining Capitalism, we talk about cooperative capitalism at the coalface. We talk about conceptual frameworks for a cooperative world. We talk about undesigning American racism through a community, cooperative community and workplace democracy in Los Angeles and Trenton and the US Southwest. In part two, uh, we provide examples of the social innovation that's intrinsic to the Mondragon experience. Chris Clamp uh, writes a great chapter on that. Uh, Ivan Zagovsky of Mondragon Unks. Frames the beginning of the on The Metrics campaign. We'll talk about later. Uh, former Mondragon International president uh, Jesus Mirarasti talks about Catholic underpinnings of the Mondragon experience, why it's so important. We talk about best uh, practices for mentoring, which is so important to Mondragon's Gatsim Presa Foundation, and also another experience in in, in centered in Bilbao uh, called the Ahal Bide2 uh, experience. Uh, we have Ana Gide who's the uh, the president of uh, of the global president for the International Cooperative Youth Network uh, talks about Mondragon Team Academy, and the enterprise she co-founded, TZBZ. Uh, we talk about case studies of how a simple technology became something greater, and we talk about all we talk about Mondragon's global influence in in part three. Uh, again, we relate um, the role of faith in civic action. We talk about the Preston model. Uh, We talk about German unions struggling to save jobs and we talk about Mondragon's influence in Korea. In part four, uh, we go USA and we talk about uh, how uh, Mondragon is baseline for so many different ecosystems. Dan Swinney from Chicago's manufacturing renaissance, uh, Doug O'Brien, President and CEO of of NCBA, National Cooperative Business Association, Kristen Barker and Ellen Vera talk about Co-Op Cincy, which has been the living lab for the uh, One Worker, One Vote movement since we started. Roger Green and Terry Lewis, two social, social justice movement icons. We'll talk about citizenship in Brooklyn, uh, addressing structural, racial, and economic inequality via economic democracy, and then building Monument in Detroit, respectively. Ms. Cooper, also a One Worker, One Vote co-founder, uh, asks, asks and then answers the question of what what then shall we do to accelerate the practice? In part five, the last part of the book, you talk about resource resource challenges uh, for new worker development. Steven Kelly uh, from the Federation of Worker Co-Ops uh, talks about gathering the right lessons from Undegon to build a North American cooperative ecosystem. Mary Hoyer and Rebecca Lurie talk about labor unions and worker co-ops, how to democratize the economy. Kevin O'Brien uh, describes Michael, work. Michael yes. Peck,
0: we gotta come back. We're gonna take our first okay. break. We'll be right back. That's why WL has been a great partner. Um, and we're giving you a lot of information today out of the book, Humanity at Work and Life, that Michael Pack and Chris Clamp have been the, the main two people that have been a, about bringing this together and coordinating a total of 36 different people from f- six countries and three continents to bring the information together. And we wanted, wanted to give you, there's a lot of information in this book and we wanna break it down. Michael was talking about the first, There's the book is broken down into five segments and he was going over the, he talked about the first four and right before the break. So what is the fifth segment, Michael? Sure, sure, thank you,
1: Vernon. Uh, the part five and, and the last part of the book are uh, resource challenges for new worker cooperative development. Uh, U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives leader Stevin Kelly uh, has a chapter. Uh, Mary Hoyer and Rebecca Lurie, two leaders in the union co-op movement talk about labor unions and worker co-ops democratizing the economy. Kevin O'Brien, who is the, uh, is the founder of Works Printing Cooperative, which is a union co-op, showcases this wonderful company as a case example. Uh, Caitlin Giannini talks about uh, placing where we place value uh, cooperatives, uh, cultural norms and challenges that uh, these kinds of organizations face in the U.S. uh, Carmen wertes Noble, uh, also a one worker co-founder, talks about worker-owned and unionized worker-owned cooperatives uh, as two tools to address income inequality. And then our friend John Holtzclaw uh, from NCB and Rushdale Capital frames financing worker cooperatives, tax and capitalization issues. Sarah, who's gracing us on the show, completes the photo by uh, her reflection on new mutualism. And then the conclusion of the book, uh, we had a live event last November where um, the great majority of the 36 contributors uh, participated uh, and each talked about uh, the frame uh, that they brought to the book. Uh, When Chris Clamp, uh, the co-editor and and my partner and everything on this book, uh, talks about the book for the first time, she always says to people why don't you start with the, with the conclusion chapter because then you'll, you'll get a frame of the whole book and you can go back to the chapters. Um, Martin, uh, Martin Lowry uh, provided a closing reflection you know he was uh, NRECA CA EBP Emeritus former NCD board chair and he's currently the U.S. Uh, elected representative to the International Cooperative Alliance. Uh, his, his closing reflection um, is, is worth reading as a standalone. So that Sorry. Vernon is is a quick summary of the incredible content
0: of in the book. Wow, and it's incredible. Sarah, can you tell us your view of the book? I know you have to leave in a few minutes, so can you tell us your view of the book? And what? how do you see it? What's the contribution you know, the book makes?
2: You know, I think that what this book does, it sounds like it's this chapter, this chapter, this chapter, but what you see is it gives you a picture of the whole and the whole tells the story that all over the world, all different types of people are all making a contribution for themselves and for their communities to improve the world and for the things that we need. So, you know, it, this isn't, this isn't complicated. It's how do we have homes that we enjoy living? How do we have food that's good for us and is affordable? It's not a luxury. How do we have fun and connection with each other and have time? How do we garden? We talk so much about food insecurity with climate change, and it's as if we just want to talk about big agricultural companies. But actually, gardening needs, we need to come together. That's what this book does. It gives us this whole.
0: Great. I love that.
1: I love that. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah.
0: And in your chapter, what did, what did you talk about in the chapter that you did?
2: Well, I, in, when I started the Mutualist Society, it really came out of a lot of work I've done with the Freelancers Union and working with a lot of different organizations. And what it's become clear to me is that this economy and society is a three-lane highway. There's the for-profit sector, the government, and then the mutualist sector, which are cooperatives, unions mutual aid and faith groups but we've forgotten how important this sector is we get very confused and we think sometimes government can do it all and the for-profit sector can do it all and they can do very important things and they must do important things but we are the ones that really have to drive this train and Mondragon has really been our leading light and hope and um and i think that's what's so important So my reflections were really about how we actually have the operating manual, how we already have learned so much about these patterns. But it's about the next generation and how they're going to bring their vision and their ideas. And I think this book is going to be the handbook for people to really get the sense right at this moment, what's out there, what's been done and what shall be done in the future.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And I'm. I am really, really interested in getting into it. I think it's going to be my, on my chef like um, collective carriage. It's, it's my resource <laughs> book. I think this is going to be my resource book for what is going on around the world. Do you have any other thoughts, uh, particularly, Sarah, on, on what this will do for the future? You, you said for the next generation, but any specifics?
2: Yeah. You know, I think that what the moment that we're in is a it's a funny moment because I think we intuitively that means like in our gut, our feeling in our stomach. We know something's kind of wrong, but you don't want to just stay there because you want to know, like, what what's the plan? And we really have a whole legacy of people who have built the plan now We have the next generation that are doing all sorts of things using creative technology and organizing in new ways. And I know you're going to be talking about future organizing that's happening right around us. And so what we have to do is bridge between the two. We kind of have to start to have an intergenerational conversation, sort of like baseball trading cards. We've got it here, and we just have to be figuring out who needs what to complete what they're doing. And I think that's really where we're at right now.
0: And... Do you have any sense of these young people where they are and what they're doing the the younger folks the young I don't even know Gen X Gen Z
2: Yes you know I think it's funny because if you look at all these statistics the rate at which young people are excited about unions and cooperatives kind of like my my grandfather's union was the was a garment workers union in the 1920s they were organized by kids you know And so that's this generation, they're ready to go. And I would say that there are these opportunities with the distributed ledger and decentralized autonomous organizations which are called DAOs. There's a lot of stuff happening that we're coming up with new tools to bring people together in ways that we haven't before. And I think the task of the generation that has come before a bit is to be open and supportive and hear and to really praise and to see the contribution that's being made. And that is gonna begin a dynamic where once people can see that they're being recognized, they're gonna be curious about how the past generations have done it. And I think that's that moment I haven't seen before, you know, in my lifetime. And I think that's the unique moment we're in.
0: So what is the mutualist society and why did you start it?
2: Yeah, so I started to realize that we had to start to come together, not in this formal, bureaucratic, heavy way, but to start bringing people together who are practitioners, who've been doing the work, and the people who are thinking about it, and starting to come together and to start to share that knowledge, and to recognize, just as Michael has done so well and his all the co-authors the different layers of those contributions. So the Mutualist Society is an organization that people can start to be a part of. And it's a work in progress and something that we're building. People can go look at the website, uh, mutualistsociety.org, and uh, subscribe and sign up if they're interested.
0: And if I wanted to do that and I sign up, what do I sign up for? Mutualist Society. Well, I
2: wish I could say it was a trip on April 23rd to Madragon, but it's the beginning of joining a world, and it's a world of people that have a sense of a way that they want to lead their lives, and that that can be doable and practical, and it solves the things that they're trying to figure out. But aside from being doable and practical, it's about love and connection. And so in the beginning, we start with ideas, and then we start with practice, and then we build institutions and then we start to change the world.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna go to mutualistsociety.org and take a look at that to see about joining. I like what you're talking about.
1: Um, Have you joined, Michael? Oh, uh, not only have I joined, but one worker, one vote is the fiscal sponsor and Sarah's my boss. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Right.
0: Okay. Sarah, I'm not going to ask you how you boss him around. Okay. (laughs)
1: Lovingly. Lovingly (laughs) with great direction.
2: (laughs) And and quite a back and forth for sure. And of course the boss thing is just Michael being funny. If, (laughs) if only.
0: Sarah, I want to thank you for being on. I know you have to leave. We're going to get ready to take our second break here. And we, we've talked about the, 36 contributors over six countries three continents the first segment is is about uh, reimagining capitalism the second one is on social innovation the third one is in mondragon's global influence the fourth one is worker ownership in america and the fifth one is on resource challenges i'm really looking forward to really getting into this book we're going to take our next break and then we're going to come back and talk more about this book and where people can find it where can they find it michael
1: you can find it at successstore.com, and i'll repeat that a few times more going to the next uh going to the next session
0: we'll be right back please don't touch that dial This is Vernon Oaks. We've been on the air now almost 10 years. We're in our 10th year. The program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. Uh, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities by providing innovative financial and related services. And Michael has already said that Chuck Snyder brought him and Chris together So they could do something like this, like this book. Uh, And it's unfortunate, but we lost him November a year, four or five months ago. And he's been a big missing in this co-op space and a big missing to me. Michael, you had mentioned right before the break where people can find this book. Can you say that again, where they can get the, the book?
1: Yes, um, I sure can, and also just want to thank Sarah Harwitz for her incredible contribution to the show when she had to leave. Um, so the book is available on successstore.com. Our publisher is Oak Tree Press in Cork, Ireland. Cork, Ireland. Cork is the city of rebels, so we thought that was a perfect place for our book. Um, and we have uh, – oh, sorry, go ahead. So you no said success Store successstore.com so successstore.com
0: S-U-C-C-E-S-S then S-T-O-R-E dot com because yes. I was yes. putting an S on that stores but it's yes. store successstore.com yes. and there they can get the PDF they can't get the the they, book and they, paper they, they, yet
1: they can get th- uh, three formats the right now you can get the PDF and the EPUB format um, which the EPUB is, is you can it helps you read uh, books that are on, that are ebooks online on anything but a Kindle, but every other platform. And the printed paperback edition will be available towards the end of this month. Uh, and we're doing this in collaboration with the Preston UK Cooperative Education Centre, the PCEC, which is also a union co-op, uh, and part of the Preston UK Cooperative Development Network, which is um, a big ally of, of One Worker, One Vote.
0: So do you have a sense of how much this book will cost when you can get it in hard copy?
1: Well, uh, the, I, I, the um, EPUB and PDF version is under $20. The printed version, it's 402 pages uh, without an index or um, an annex, just uh, content chapters, it is uh, about
0: $50. Okay.
1: All the uh, I, I do want to say that all the book proceeds minus its costs uh, are, are going to go to uh, uh, aligned social economy mission, missions chosen by the contributors on a one contributor, one vote basis as the proceeds of Both Chris and I as the two co-editors are donating all of those proceeds uh, to that. Um, we have um, an, a, a hope for the PDF and EPUB format versions that the book inspires unlimited incoming ecosystem chapters in the future, uh, that will be written and included in ongoing renditions of the book so that the book will become an infinite book, uh, like a wiki book, infinite chapters, storytelling more and more rising ecosystems across the planet. Um, we are also wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, thinking. Wait, before you move on. Sure, sure.
0: The proceeds minus the cost will. So it sounds like you all, this 36 contributors, have formed a co op. A one (laughs) member, one vote co-op where the money Mm -hmm. that comes in, you all will decide which organizations will get that money. Those organizations that are providing this mutualistic kinds of things that Sarah was talking about.
1: That's Um, exactly right. right, We haven't voted on it or structured it, but we have all agreed that this is going to happen. Um, And so we're thinking about something like a shared services co-op. Uh, going forward, which will include not only the current 36 contributors, but all the new contributors that occur over time.
0: Okay. So if I were a contributor, I may say I want CDF, Corporate Development Fund, to get some of these monies because of the great work that they're doing around. And that you Exa- then put some I money think- if everybody agreed to it.
1: I exactly. Every, every contributor on a one contributor, one uh one mission basis has the right to designate um, a source of, of for these funds, and as the as the profits come in on a rolling basis, we will periodically um, dedicate uh, the same amount of profit to every single uh, mission choice of every one of our thirty six contributors. And for new contributors, for the new editions of the book going forward, they will be placed on the same basis, uh, just like a Mondragon co op, one worker, one Book, and, and and experience the same benefit.
0: All right. So, I want to write a, a portion of this book. I want to write a chapter to this book. I want to add something to it. How do I go about doing that? I want to write it on so, promotions too. I want to write it on how we promote this cooperative, this mutualist society. How do we? How, how do I write that? Well, sure. So
1: for, so first of all, thank you for being inspired by the book to do that work. Uh, second. Uh, We have an academic framework for each of the chapters um, that the two editors, will uh, me being one of them, Chris being the academic, so her word counts more than mine in this area. We'll go through the exact format, uh, the APA format that we used uh, for all the other chapters so that we have a similar look to each of the new chapters that that happens. Um, We will work with you um, as you develop your chapter. Uh we, um, we've had some very gifted uh, copy editors, um, Megan Giannini, um, um, Chris, one of Chris's daughters, and uh, Josh Wilson, helping us to make sure uh, that the book has a common look and feel, given the diversity of the voices. So you would be part of that process. And uh, we would wait uh, for the next rendition of the book. Uh, we just got published on, on March 27th. Uh, so we're going to wait a while to see how get everything in place and get the, uh, the paperback version out. But uh, at some point in time, when we have enough accumulation of new chapters, we will then uh, put out a new edition um, and new e edition. And and then you would be part of the shared services co op, and you would get to designate the charity uh, uh, or the mission of your choice when the proceeds uh, become
2: available periodically.
0: Okay. If somebody else out there. Now, you said you want to look at these ecosystems. So Dr. Stacy Sutton is looking at what she calls black utopia cities. And she's looking at these cities where blacks are having worker cooperatives and an and ecosystem that you're this other co-ops are working. And these these you're having these um, a lot of black worker co-ops. If she wanted to write a book, a uh, uh, part of, um, of this, or let's say Jackson, Mississippi, which has a, a black ecosystem going there, if they wanted to write their ecosystem, how would they go about doing it
1: too? So we would be overjoyed if Stacy and Callie, Stacy, uh, you described in Callie for um, uh, Jackson, uh, Mississippi, if Stacy and Callie would, would submit chapters Uh, we 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 were hoping they would do so we weren't able to organize that but going forward uh we would be dancing in the streets if they did and we'd go out of our way to help integrate them into the rest of the book it shouldn't be difficult at all we have a lot of of really good uh, uh, contributors for the first edition um, that are uh, embracing similar themes as you'll see um, going through the chapters
0: okay those countries that you talked about were the UK, Canada, Germany, South Korea, and Spain and the U.S. Six countries. Uh, Different governance, different languages, but they have this whole common mutualism, this whole common co-op structure is that yes. what you find when you when you go around looking
1: yes uh, they all have money in common uh, and um, you know we, we we're reaching out now to Latin America to Africa uh, for future chapters in the book um, but we we want to follow the the global social economy uh, unfolding uh, social economy is a huge uh, rising economy throughout the world um, In in Europe for example Uh, Social Economy Europe has over 3.4 million members, uh, and in many of the EU countries represents 10% of the GMP. Uh, Social Economy uh, companies, enterprises, and ecosystems are developing all over the world. They include cooperatives and unions, the same mutualist uh, uh, enterprises and and partners that Sarah described. Uh, And and so we want to follow that community and frame them uh, as part of the book. So, what is social economy? So, a social economy uh, is a way of building enterprises, and ecosystems uh, that truly do well by doing good. But the doing good comes first, uh, and, and they give back to society. Uh, they uh, they have profit as as purpose, uh, solving solving uh, societal challenges. Uh, they they contribute to the. Um, macroeconomics of 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 good of of caring of of an economy that works for all. It's it's a, it's a mission aligned to enterprise, uh, and then the enterprise uh, being measured and documenting its successes.
0: Social economy is. Using your money and your jobs, using the economy to solve social issues.
1: Yes, to do to do well by doing good, but doing the good up front. Okay. And and, and there's one other. Oh, sorry, Bert. I oh, just wanted to say there's there's one other um, uh, aspect to the book. Um, uh, we're creating a, a, an acknowledgement section um, that we're calling calling Odes to Joy. And this is because this came out of a conversation I had with Carmen uh, Huertas-Noble, Noble, who is the clinic dean for Kitty Law School and a one' Work, one both co-founder. Uh, she was talking about how after after the pandemic, after everything that's so you know horrific in the news, there seems to be a general depression and what we need are acknowledgements and storytelling that, that lift us up, that show us that there's hope, that documents, that documents good things happening with good people, uh, that documents uh, the most vulnerable uh, no longer uh, becoming part of the precariat, but becoming part of the uh, enabling prosperity from generation to generation. And so we, we came up with this idea of Odes to Joy, uh, you know, that took that from the Ninth Symphony of Beethoven, which is uh, quite a stirring piece of music, uh, and and we're going to launch that on the one we're going to vote new social bridge as an acknowledgement section first for our 36 first contributors, but then open it up to readers uh, so they can share individual and collective stories and build that um, build that wiki experience online uh, to match the chapters uh, that will be rolling in for the never ending book of humanity at work and Life.
0: Okay, so Michael, I want to talk about the Starbuck campaign, the metrics campaign, um, and and I want to look at what does this all lead us to the future? What are the kinds of things that that you can see happening in the future? Now, we only have a minute left before we have to take our next break. So, this book has five segments. Reimagining Capitalism and that the first segment and Rebecca Henderson is doing that. She's wrote the book called That. Then Social Innovations. We've talked about the social economy. Uh then we talk about Mondragon's influence. That's the third section of the book. The fourth section is worker ownership. This worker co-ops particularly, but unions. And the fifth section is resource challenges, money challenges uh, for new worker cooperative development. So that's the five segments of the book with a conclusion. And we'll take our break. And then I want to come back and talk about those two campaigns and the future. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Is WOL News Talk 1450 AM and 95.9 FM. 95.9. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. Before we took break, I said I wanted to come back and talk about two campaigns: the nationwide Starbucks organizing campaign and the Metrics campaign. So let's take the first one first because I do wanna spend time talking about the future. What is the Starbucks organizing campaign?
1: Well, um, I feel really fortunate to be aligned um, and in collaboration with the core team uh, organizing uh, the nationwide Starbucks organized campaign. You know, started in Buffalo, New York, Workers United, and there's close to 300 stores. Um, And this campaign, has been one of the big success stories of of new union organizing, uh, uh, because uh, all of the people involved are uh, completely committed, uh, incredibly resourceful, dedicated, innovative, um, and I just can't say enough good things about the people in this campaign. But it's also pulled the curtain back um, on on the hypocrisy and and virtue signaling, purpose-washing, of of what corporations are getting away with these days because corporate personhood is now more powerful, more far-reaching, better resource than person personhood or human personhood. Um, And so the book, the book, uh, these themes, the themes of these two campaigns that we're going to talk about now uh, go through the book uh, and they influence greatly uh, in in the chapters that I I contributed to. uh, what's happening? You know, let's just talk about the phrase baristas as partners, which is the the formal Starbucks uh, phrase to describe baristas. There's no way baristas are, are partners. They don't get equal pay. They don't get equal benefits. They don't. They don't get equal decision making. They don't get equal equity. They don't get equal power. They don't get equal voice. There, it's it's a phrase. That means the opposite of what it says. So
0: baristas, is, baristas are the people that make the coffee, right? That's the right. The, okay.
1: I I've ne- I never learned the Starbucks lingo, but yes, it's the people behind the counter making all the Starbucks coffee products.
0: And they are definitely not partners. They're, they are definitely not partners. Saying they're probably the most minimum wage they can get away with in each of places. Now you're saying that there are thirty or three hundred Starbucks that have now
1: unionized. To yeah, the there's, close to, there's close to 300 stores uh, that have voted to unionize, but they do not yet have a signed agreement with the company because the company, uh, Starbucks, uh, from its uh, CEO on down, has engaged in vicious union busting and has been called out uh, for that both by the federal government, the National Labor Relations Board, but also by investors such as Trillium. Uh, have have sent message to shareholders saying cease and desist the union busting because it's hurting profits
0: yeah okay metrics campaign what is that I th- and I think of metrics as measuring something what is your metrics yeah. campaign
1: so so uh, we have um, we have something called ESG which is environmental social governance uh, and it, it refers to um, how you look at uh, funding uh, to go to impact investing, missions and companies and products and services. And that's part of something called SDG, which is Sustainable Development Goals that the United Nations set up. Uh, And uh, there's a big debate in, in, in the United States, a polemic partisan debate over ESG. Um, with uh, one side saying it's the way we're going to um, focus capital profitably uh, to uh, address climate change and address all the socioeconomic inequalities that are uh, depressing uh, the globe uh, in, in all sorts of ways. And we measure that in healthcare and productivity and so forth. Uh, and there's another uh, group of people that disparage that and say that, you know, climate change doesn't exist, um, ESG is an overstep, and so forth. Um, So what we've said from the trenches, from the worker ownership trenches, is that every time something happens, green jobs, renewable energy, the next wonderful wave of adoption, ESG, SDG, after the the announcements and the, the podium, uh, the podium speeches and the Davos events are over. Uh, the workers are always back in the same old place, uh, which is, uh, they have no equity, they have no voice. And so this time we decided that with, uh, environmental social governance, with, with ESG funds, which for the first time in human history, Vernon, put four different kinds of capital on the table. Human capital, social capital, natural capital, which is climate, and then financial capital, which we all know about. But we've never talked about four different kinds of capital before. And we've never put them together. Of course, financial capital is the big Kahuna in this process and dominates everything else. But those other three forms of capital are rising. They're rising in importance. They're rising in perception. They're helping to create this new economy that we all talk and dream about. But unless we get involved at the granular stage, at the metric stage, once again, other people will be defining the metrics, other people will be benchmarking the metrics, and people doing the work will be stakeholders without being shareholders and without representation. So uh, we were greatly helped in our partnership. We have three institutional partners. We have uh, the United Nations Research Institute for Social Development, um, they launched a, a major manual uh, called Sustainable Development Performance Indicators, or SDPIs, last November. That has already attracted 336 participating companies, and this number is growing, to help turn this around uh, in the in the context of better sustainability thresholds and transformative change, uh, and, and 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 then with the American Sustainable Business Network, with its 250,000 triple bottom-line companies and business organizations at the Social Economy Europe, representing over 3.6 million uh, uh, business members and business organizations, we combine forces on the Own the Metrics campaign. And the Own the Metrics campaign is to make sure that the people that do the work for once get to sit at the standard-setting forums Uh, and and decision-making tables, and and identify the metrics, define the metrics, and then benchmark the metrics so that those doing the work are also those uh, living and participating in the standard setting. This has never happened before, but we believe that if we're successful in doing this, uh, and we have a whole series of events this year, and this campaign is really gathering force, we will then be able to structure and channel ESG finance, which is, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars towards a stakeholder economy rather than a shareholder primacy economy. So, uh, so, so let me just stop there and, so and see you, if I made sense.
0: <laughs> you, you made sense. But I would just, what, do you, what do you think the Silicon Valley bank blow up? How do you think that's going to affect? Because that's looking at this whole financial economy and capitalism, how do you think that's going to affect who gets a seat at the table
1: for setting these metrics? Right. Well, Silicon Valley Bank is just the latest of a long series of uh, financial sector explosions showing that we have two sets of rules, at least in the United States. One rule is for bankers and another rule is for everybody else. You know, don't take me back to 2008. When we bailed out the bankers, when the, when the public treasury bailed out the bankers and then stiffed the homeowners, you know, sending over a million families into under, underwater mortgages or rental conditions or even, you know, uh, homeless situations because we had this double hypocritical standard. Um, and if this is a country of one rule for all, Silicon Valley Bank is an example of uh, the duality of rules, the duality of privilege. The duality of let's hold everyone accountable to the same set of agreed principles. Uh, I think people look at Silicon Valley Bank and they think, you know, it, it, when, it, when is the next one going to happen? Uh, you know, how come a banker never goes to jail? How come there's never anybody held responsible? How come the rules never change, but the event Keeps on happening, so I think it's an indication of what's wrong. This is an incredibly hard problem. You know, Martin Luther King talked about how power never, power privilege, you know, has to be has to be, you know, confronted. It's not going to volunteer to surrender. Um, so we have to start somewhere. So, so in this in our campaign, we're starting with the metrics because we believe if we can get to the granular core of identity design and benchmarking. We will then have influence over what happens to this money, how it is channeled, and how it is distributed, and therefore change uh, the incredibly uh, destructive inequality curves that are smothering the earth. Uh, you know, at the same rate as climate change.
0: And you've already mentioned a new generation, uh, Gen Z, Alpha Gen, whatever you want to call them. They are they're wanting this new. Society, its new social economy. They, they yes. don't want this other stuff.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. Generation Z uh, and Alpha generations, the rising generations, uh, want equality. Uh, they want freedom. Uh, they want to have a voice in a book.
0: Tell them how they can get this book before we touch. Okay. Get yes.
1: So the book is uh, available on SuccessStore.com. Uh, 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 just go there and order it. It, it, um, uh, and if you want to wait for the printed version, it's going to be at the end of this month, but you can get the PDF version in EPUB format now. Um, and we urge you uh, to read it and, and talk to us, talk talk to us, communicate what you think, um, and help us improve it uh, through, to, through storytelling, Oats to Joy, and the other formats that we'll be announcing in Q2 of this year.
0: Thank you, Michael Peck. And thank you, Sarah Horowitz. Uh... Everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. Chris Cramp will be on. We'll continue talking about this book, Please Live Cooperatively. This Sunday on TV One, Unsung presents Best in Black, the top 10 trailblazers who Flipped the script.
2: When I think of Chadwick Boseman, I think of a generational talent.
0: Followed by an all-new uncensored, Cheryl Lee
2: Ralph. People always in your ear telling you, you should do this, you should do that. It seemed like everybody else had control except me, Just so I stopped eating. Unsung presents Best in
0: Black, film trailblazers. Followed by an all-new uncensored, Cheryl Lee Ralph. Sunday night starting at 9 on TV One. Milkshake, quick, the quicker picker-upper. Bounty picks up spills quicker. And each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less than the leading ordinary brand. So you can get back to your milkshake.
2: My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than your Bounty, the
0: quicker picker-upper.
1: Good morning, folks. I'm Earl Kirk. Here's the latest from NewsOne.com. Free public phone charging stations are everywhere, but the FBI is now warning consumers to steer clear.
2: The agency tweeting people should avoid using free public charging stations in airports, hotels, or shopping centers, warning bad actors have figured out ways to use the public USB ports to introduce malware and monitoring software onto people's devices. It's known as juice jacking, and consumer devices with compromised USB cables can be hijacked, which means thieves can then siphon off usernames, passwords, and other data. The FBI suggests people carry their own charger and USB cord and use an electrical outlet instead. Liz Warner, NBC News Radio, New York.
1: The search is over for a car possibly involved in a targeted shooting Tuesday outside a D.C. funeral home. Police say they recovered the Lexus Wednesday but didn't say where, whether it was stolen or if a suspect was identified or captured. D.C. crime is about to go under the microscope. Mayor Bowser has accepted an invitation to testify on Capitol Hill next month. She'll be joined by the police chief and city administrator.